Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.37 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning. And today was an awesome, incredible, super dope Sunday. We had a guest speaker. Uh, Her name is Sherry. She is a part of our crew. And I love it anytime someone um, from our church is brave enough to get up on stage and kind of share their story. And that is exactly what today was. She threw it down, crushed it, did an amazing job. And she kind of turned it into like almost like a a one woman show up there. She um, spoke and then also incorporated two songs. So this is going to be unlike anything you've ever heard from us before. Um, You're going to hear her speaking and then we have a couple songs. Um, The first one, she has Isaac, another one of our um, uh, big, huge part of our community, come up and sing uh, a duet with her while Peter plays guitar. And on the second one, Peter is on guitar again, and Guiana, our normal um, lead singer, is up there doing background vocals. And I just think you're really going to love it. A couple of fun facts for you. Uh, I goofed, and I didn't get the right song to Peter so the first one you hear, he actually learned like in five minutes before the service because he's insane. And then the second one, we accidentally played it in the wrong key. And so Sherry had to like on the fly decide to sing it like up an octave at certain parts. So it was just super impressive. Like our people are so talented. Uh, thank you so much for, for blessing us with your presence and just being a part of different. Um, Not anything much else going on right now. We are in the middle of growth groups. You can always sign up for those if you want. Just go to diff.church. That is a good place to connect with us, join the mailing list, um, give. uh, Whenever we do events again, you can sign up for those from there. Um, I think that's it. Let's jump into Sherry. I'm excited for you to meet her. Hi, friends. <laughs> um, if you don't know me, um, I'm Sherry. I'm 26, um, and I'm an elementary school teacher. Um, so I technically do public speaking for a living, but my audience is usually a good bit shorter than y'all. <laughs> and also, I feel pretty confident that no one in here is going to try to eat a Kleenex. So that's a good feeling. Um, but this is a little out of my comfort zone. <laughs> but we learned a while back from Glenn and Doyle that we can do hard things, so here I am. <clears throat> when Hannah asked me if I would do this, after I got done having a small stroke, that is. Um, I said I'd think it over and, you know, (laughs) ask if there was something he wanted me to say, and I'd get back to her. Um, I honestly kind of expected to hear nothing, but I asked, and I was not ready for what I got. Mm, This topic makes me uncomfy. If my ego was choosing the topic, I would have drawn upon all my years of church and ministry school and picked something that I've studied before in depth, you know, Use the sermon formula, yada, yada. But when I asked, the answer I got was that I need to speak about the truth and specifically what it means to speak your truth and how to be vulnerable. Yikes. Hmm. I know I can't very well speak about the importance of vulnerability today without, in fact, being vulnerable, vulnerable myself. So here goes nothing. However, I would like to give a disclaimer um, that I will be mentioning just a few topics that not everyone here might have space to hold right now. Um, Please know if you are triggered by any of these topics, um, I will not be offended if you need to leave. And if anything, I hope you would because I know I've ignored my body, telling me to run from what feels like danger far more frequently than I should have. That being said, 
I want to talk about my experience with the power of vulnerability, but also the harm I suffered from resisting it. Upon reflecting on this topic, I've come to see that my life has fallen into three main stages so far. And I want to share with you what I've learned from each stage. So stage one being innocence lasting up until about the age of six or seven. Um, two, age seven to 25, and three is 25 to today. And I will absolutely be indulging in my favorite parts of church today, one of which being my favorite parts of a sermon, which is storytelling. I've always considered the lessons gained from our experiences to be our unique human currency, and I'm really honored to get to share with you guys today. I realized throughout this whole process of writing this message that all I've ever really wanted was for the God in me to see and be seen by the God in someone else, and sharing stories is an excellent way to do that. Okay, hopping into stage one. Allow me to set the scene. I was homeschooled from pre-K until eighth grade, and I often found myself sitting at a desk alone doing some worksheet or another that went swimmingly, as you can imagine. Um, but in a way, I missed this time because oh, man, that kid did not have to fight to find her truth. A big truth in my life at that time was that I was terrified to feel reliant on my parents for anything. They hid very little from me, so I knew even as a first grader that they could barely keep a roof over our heads from month to month. My core truth, however, in this stage was that I wanted to be a believer. I didn't know exactly what it was I had to do or say to be one, but I wanted it with every fiber of my being. We're talking about a kid who felt such weird spiritual connection to things that I used to sit in front of a mirror for hours and just stare into my own eyeball trying to see my soul. I can't remember exactly what came over me, but one day, seemingly out of the blue, I remember needing to speak this truth to God so intensely that I did something I almost never did. I asked my mom for help. I knew that words were powerful and I couldn't think of the right ones on my own, so I repeated after my mother and I got saved for the first time. <laughs> I laugh now because it would absolutely not be the last time I got saved. <laughs> that thing I so desperately wanted remained elusive. But I can still smile thinking of how pure that first reach towards God was, even though it would be distorted as I got older. I wanted so desperately to be good, and not just because my father would beat me if I literally just looked at him funny, but because deep in my soul, I felt a yearning to be close to God. And being good with my new superpower of being saved seemed like the only way to do that. He'd saved me from myself after all. I had supernatural power to deny my evil nature. At the age of six, I'd figured it out. <laughs> yeah, the new perfection lasted about two days. <laughs> and not understanding why it hadn't worked, this is where my long journey of self-hatred began. Joy and unconditional love and excitement for life quickly turned to fear, guilt, and worst of all, anger. After being told so often that I was bad or broken, I eventually began to believe it. This was also when I remember being told to hide who I was for the first time, being told that the way that I loved was wrong. I remember the first time I was told this as vividly as, this, as if it had happened yesterday. It took a minute for my mother's words to sink in, but once the meeting hit me, it knocked the wind out of me. I remember feeling so stunned that I actually slid down to the ground, sat on the floor, and leaned against the cold metal of a nearby filing cabinet. All I could think was, why is it bad to show some, that I love someone by holding their hand? What did we do wrong? 
Of course, I had no real um, understanding of romantic love at six, but this event confused me deeply. And not having the tools to process these feelings, I pushed them down instead. Not so fun fact. This doesn't work. Suppressed feelings charge you interest, and the rates are very high. Um, before we move on to stage two, um, we're actually going to do a song called Over the Rainbow by Todrick Hall. So a huge, huge thank you to Peter for playing on this one, um, and not just because he's awesome in general, but because we accidentally gave him the wrong music, and he just learned it like in the 10 minutes before service. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And also, he's thank you to Isaac for helping me to tell this story. Um, the song's really important to me because I can't properly explain to you in words the years of mental trauma that that kid went through, but this will help me give you a glimpse. Because, um, of course, this story isn't just my own. So many other queer people have their own origin stories of heartbreak, and it felt necessary to ask for help telling this one. Because we're not alone, and we don't have to face our darkness anymore. And you'll grow to be a woman 
healing working on that song and it feels like such a beautiful full circle moment getting to face this together in in church <laughs> except of feeling like you know we're trying to get into a club that we've been kicked out of we're home you guys are the best thank you okay on to stage two <clears throat> i'm inclined to call this stage tides of apathy which sounds over dramatic but hear me out um, I mentioned to my therapist once that something I wanted to work on was learning how to feel things again because I had intentionally gone numb as a defense mechanism for about 20 years. And she asked a good question of, well, what times in your life did you feel more or less numb and what do you think caused it? Simple enough question, but I realized that before reflecting on this that I viewed the trauma from this time in my life as an undefined shape, hidden out of reach. But several incidents come to mind that triggered a period of deeper darkness, and they all have similar themes. Lack of control, or something influencing me to hide my truth self. Being 14, and the cops showing up at our door for the first time. Being 15, and being homeless for a while because my father lost his job due to his wrongdoing. Being 16, and living in low-income housing with just my mom because dad finally went to jail. Being 16 and finally feeling like I could breathe without him around. And being 16 and feeling guilty about being able to breathe. Being 16 and letting a boy kiss me, but panicking the whole time and not understanding why I hated being touched. Being 17 and hitting a new low, even for me, changing schools to try to escape myself, only to end up back in the same circle with the same girl who I told myself was just my exception. That there was no way I could be gay. You just, oops, fell in love with a friend. Tears blurred together of sexual and emotional abuse, gaslighting and manipulation at her hands, and then to not feeling safe with men or women anymore and getting very, very good at being alone. To convincing myself that I'm fine when that couldn't be more further from the truth. When I realized that it wasn't a phase, like they had said, and I had feelings for another woman to my first and only attempt on my life because all I could think was that I just needed the voice of self-hatred to stop, to finally mustering the strength to get help, and to finally getting better and gaining clarity and tools to protect myself from these thoughts 
but also trying to accept that if I stop fighting the darkness long enough to let it burn, I will not be consumed. So I encourage you to ponder, what are the common threads in your memory that trigger your mind's natural ebb and flow in and out of the light? Being able to recognize when my spirit is experiencing a rise or a fall and to be able to identify possible reasons why it's happening has been very healing for me. Instead of dismissing my pain as a formless void that cannot be touched, when I sit with it, the reasons behind the trigger slowly reveal themselves. This is not fun, but trying to ignore your pain is much, much worse. Eventually you will rise and then you'll fall and you'll rise and you'll fall. Repeat forever. I'm learning to stop resisting this tide. Starkness is an unavoidable part of life, but we do not have to be consumed. And nothing looks more beautiful than a rising sun after a long night. So that brings us to stage three, learning to be alive again. And now that I've unpacked all that baggage, how do I learn how to be vulnerable? This is what I know. I am an adult. I am the primary human director of my life. <laughs> if something feels wrong to me, I can speak that truth out loud and let it out of my soul into the open. Mm, but that's where the terror sets in. Mm, because once you've freed your fears, they take on a life of their own. They are no longer solely mine to control. So what do you do when your truth has become so heavy that you are forced to look it dead in the eye? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still working on that part. <laughs> but I can tell you what I've done so far. I was at an impasse. I had graduated college and I was finally on the brink of true independence, beginning my career, and so close to getting my first home, the safe, quiet place I dreamed of having all to myself since I was a little kid. And then wham, pandemic. Also known as months upon months of nothing to do but sit with yourself and your feelings with very few of your usual easy button numbing distractions. I experienced many moments during this time that made me realize I had to make a choice. I finally admitted to myself that I was queer and I knew I couldn't continue living like I had been and I wouldn't have to once I moved out. I could be my own person and stop pretending. I knew I needed to become human again, but I was so afraid that if I tried, I would fail, that I wouldn't remember how to feel my feelings. And by far the most terrifying thought was that I was too far gone, that I had ignored God in me for too long that I had quenched the spirit and he was no longer whispering to me. I love a good list, so I came up with three options. Option one, choose a life of celibacy and accept that my same-sex attraction was the cross God wanted me to bear in this life and that only acting on it would be sin. At this time, this was a real option I was considering, but I thank God I have enough clarity to call it what it is, garbage. Next. <laughs> Option two. Find an affirming church. I knew they existed, but years of internalized homophobia already had me assuming that their theology would have to be all wrong, and to function in a space like that, I'd have to throw out faith altogether. But maybe I could find some kind of positive community? I didn't have a lot of hope for this. Uh, which brings me to option three. Give up on faith and just live my life. Find a girl and be happy. This didn't feel right either, though, because I'd felt the presence of God since I was a child. I knew I had to reconcile with that. 
He was in my very spirit, and I could not escape that no matter how far I ran. This was July 2021. It's just after Pride Month has ended, but June had reminded me that maybe there was hope. So I chose option two, try to find an affirming church. I didn't dare to hope that I would find somewhere with real biblical explanations, but I was desperate. I started searching in earnest. Many churches later, I found one that actually was different. <laughs> from, <laughs> from many of the other churches I visited. But once I walked through those doors, I knew it was time for something different, to rest, to learn a new way, to hope. But my process for making decisions has always been, if you try something and you like it, leave. <laughs> and then if you miss that thing, that's how you know it's real. <laughs> it's convoluted, but hey, whatever works. <laughs> so I tried one more church and God laid a resounding, what are you doing? Go home on me in the form of a rusty nail to the heel, uh, right through my shoe in that other church's parking lot. <laughs> One tetanus shot later, I knew exactly where I would be heading the following week. And I said, okay, I hear you, loud and clear. Huh, you haven't talked to me in a while, so this must be important. And I've been here ever since. <laughs> and I've said it before, but I want to thank Hannah again for making this space exist. My story would have likely ended very different if it weren't for you and people like you. So thank you for doing a hard thing and being a light in my dark. Okay, takeaways. I'm going to leave you with a few takeaways. Some examples of harmful thinking that I'm learning how to let go. In a, the form of a bulleted list, because again, I love lists. <laughs> One, you do not have to put pressure on yourself to be a victory story. I'm good now, the end. No. <laughs> Instead, we are living stories in an ongoing conversation with God. I was taught that until you are a perfect person, you are not worthy of love or happy relationships and deserve to be alone. I hate this one. False, and next. <sighs> Having doubt is not shameful. It is necessary to go through all and burn through all those old ways that don't work anymore so you can rebuild. You can both be struggling with what feels like a crisis of faith and still reach out to the divine. The idea that we have to have all our ducks in a row before we can be in community with God is damaging and incorrect. Oof. I need to reject the shame that my life is insignificant, that I'm not doing enough, that I have too much while others have nothing or so little. Because what if I'm enough? What if you are enough? What if we're not desperately wicked and in need of fixing? And what if we can just relax into the lives we were given? Darkness cannot exist where there is love. Vulnerability has always been the cure to my shame. Truth lives inside us, and it always has, and it always will. The last one. If you're anything like me, and you are terrified of discovering your truth and feeling all of your feelings, but you know you cannot continue lying to yourself, find the things that help you practice being human. For me, it's music and reading, both things I could not do when I was in the depth of my deepest depression. When my depression was at its worst, I had, worst, I had no desire to do anything that used to make me happy. But now I make an intentional effort to let all the feelings come. And then I let them pass. 
The song always ends, and I survive every time. I've learned that it's safe to accept what used to seem like a dangerous invitation to feel. It isn't painless, but it is safe, and that's the difference. On that note, I have one last song I want to share with you, and another huge thank you to Peter, and this time Guiana. You guys are wonderful. Let's hear it for them. This song is really special to me because it's the first time, the first time that I heard it, it marks the beginning of my deconstruction. Um, it's called Jesus, Jesus by Noah Gunderson. Um, I heard it while I was in ministry school, and I remember feeling so conflicted because the lyrics seemed heretical, but it also felt so true, and I couldn't let it go. I never thought in a million years I'd be able to share these things with a faith community and be accepted for who I really am. Um, so thank you, and I'll leave you with this song. It's a prayer of longing and pain, but also hope for the future. Thanks for listening. Jesus, Jesus, could you tell me what the problem is with the world and all the people in it? Because I've been hearing stories about the end of the world, but I'm in love with a girl and I don't want to leave her. Children burn as well. What about the Muslims 
It's all 